And this is Katie Mae's Real Date Night. We're your hosts. I'm Clint. I'm Josie. And we are hoping that you're having an amazing Friday night as you are tuning into the inaugural broadcast of Katie Mae's Real Date Night. Yes, this is a very special episode of Real Date Night. This is our very first one. So typically a real date night would consist of going out to a dinner and going out to a movie. But with COVID-19, we, well, we're modifying things. We're going to be exploring the takeout options in the Montevideo and surrounding areas. And, well, Clint has a pretty impressive collection of DVDs and Blu-rays. And we also have streaming subscriptions to, I think, about everything between the two of us. Yeah, and you know, with it being October, us launching, obviously the idea was if we were going to start in October, we had to go with the 31 days of Halloween, the you know different horror movies each week, and Josie picked this week's first one, and next week we are going to let the listeners, you, decide what we're going to be watching and breaking down. We're going to give you a couple choices. Yes, and Clint brought up that... I picked the movie tonight, so tonight I let Clint pick dinner. So what did you what did you bring? Well, I figured for this first one, I would pick one of my favorite places, and I picked up some wings from Duffy's in Montevideo. Oh my gosh, I absolutely love Duffy's wings. So not only are their wings amazing, I don't know what they use to make their blue cheese dressing. I, I don't think they're allowed to tell us. I, I might have to ask them if I can just sign an NDA just so I can know so I can sleep soundly at night because I've had hundreds of different blue cheese dressings and that one is absolutely delicious and it complements the wings perfectly. Yeah, they are best wings I've ever had and I've been all over this country including to several places in Buffalo, New York and by far the best blue cheese I have will ever taste. So would you go so far as to say that if they're not from the Buffalo region, that these would be sparkling wings? Is I was that? waiting for that. <laughs> I was waiting to see how long it would take for the Wayne's World reference. Uh, we are two minutes and 15 seconds in. Well, what was the over-under for the evening? Three minutes, and I took the under. Oh, good for you. So <laughs> the movie that we or we that you selected for us to watch tonight was the 2004 classic Saw, and you know going through that movie again, I forgot how great of a cast that is. That you know, just kind of looking at the uh, the sheet here. Yeah, it has an absolutely all star cast. Um, of course, Carrie Ells, who I have always loved. I have. If in the off chance that he ever hears this, I've had a ginormous crush on Carrie Ills my entire life. I've loved him in Princess Bride. I loved him when he appeared in um, Psych. I absolutely loved him in Robin Hood Men in Tights. I have just loved everything that he's ever done. And for me, you know, the the first 900 times I watched this movie, I never really appreciated the value of Michael Emerson. Michael Emerson, I think, is one of the most underappreciated actors. And what I love about Saw, I recently encouraged you to go ahead and sit down and watch my favorite TV show, which is Lost. And you did it. You, you put yourself through every single one of the episodes. And what I love about Saw, there are actually a few characters inside of Saw that have worked together already on Lost. Well, actually, Lost came out afterwards. But uh, Ken Lung, Leung, he was on Lost. He played Miles Strum, and Michael Emerson played Benjamin Linus. And those two, I wish that there was just even a moment inside of Saul where 
they had an on-screen moment together because they play so well off of each other. As we saw not only on Lost, but we also would see later on in another show starring Michael Emerson, Person of Interest. Yes, and Michael Emerson, I feel like he is just, he's a fantastic character. And I feel like how he acts is a lot of how he is as a person. He just... We could hope. Very matter-of-fact and just... dry sarcasm i love his dry sarcastic sense of humor yeah it's it's definitely there and the the fact that he and i just want to call him miles from <laughs> lost uh, they definitely have worked together quite a bit in the last 16 years with several episodes of lost you know you mentioned after they had done the movie saw and then at least two episodes of person of interest yes and they play really well together and let's not forget danny glover i know him best from gone fishing and i'm going to show my age i remember him best from lethal weapon (laughs) i think he did a fantastic job in the movie and it had a really great all-star cast, and this is one of, I believe it was one of the first movies that James Wan did, and this was kind of his intro into horror, if I'm correct. It was his intro into movies. It was his first screenplay, and it was also his directorial debut. And that's just fantastic, because this movie, once you once you understand that this was the, the very first movie that he did, and you kind of understand the budget that went behind it, you can really analyze it. And I want to kind of look this time through at looking at the set and the set design and I've heard people say that, you know, once you know how low budget the movie really was made for, it becomes really, really honest, like honestly apparent. Yeah. Kind of the set design, but also at the same time, they took such a modest budget and they made it stretch so far with creativity. The movie was made on a $1.2 million budget, which for a Hollywood film is nothing. I mean, there are actors that are claiming 10 times that alone for just their portions of the film. And then it went on to gross $103 million in the box office. And what I find really funny, here is, here's a fun fact. So the little tape cassette that they have the recordings on, I did a little bit of research going into this movie because I thought about it, and I can't remember the last time that I actually saw a cassette tape recorder, especially in the early 2000s. And the tape recorder is a Panasonic RN305. For all of you sitting there at home that have just always been wondering about this, well, it is a tape recorder that currently sells for $237 plus $6 in shipping if you're going off of Amazon. And what I have to laugh about is they had such a modest budget. How many of those tape recorders were they able to afford? And also, it begs to ask the question, with Jigsaw, did he work for Panasonic? Because he was able to have all of these tape recorders at his disposal? Did a box just fall off the truck? Have I been staying up too late just looking into conspiracy theories with this movie? Uh, Yeah, you probably did. And they probably only used one for the first movie because, you know, $1.2 million. And you've got Carrie Ellis. And I get it. He had not done a lot of things for a few years. Michael Emerson was relatively unknown at that time. Shawnee Smith was probably the best well-known cast member after Carrie Ellis because she had done a lot of different things, including uh, the role of Rhonda in the 1987 blockbuster hit Summer School. So going into that, she was probably the second most well-known cast member. I, I feel like there's a little bit of Danny Glover erasure going on right now that you're ignoring. No, I, no. Danny Glover is your, <clears throat> is your headliner. Okay. Going off of, going off of my, my, my string theory with these cassettes, I did have one other just funny little thought that I I thought you should just, you know, have inside of your brain also. Did Jigsaw ever think about maybe using an iPod shuffle? 
because I'm pretty sure it would have been the same price or, you know, save money, go ahead and use a Zune. At that time, Zune was trying really hard to become the big thing. And that might have been the thing that might have saved Zune and made it so that way I'm not showing my age by referencing Zune and pop, you know, pushing that it should have been more popular. I had a Zune for five minutes. I bought it from Circuit City. Oh, gosh. <laughs> did you stop by Blockbuster on your way there or? Actually, I did. <laughs> but I'm not even kidding. There was a Blockbuster and a Circuit City in the same block of stores. Oh, gosh, that poor strip mall. Rest in peace. Moment of silence. I think it's all Spirit Halloween stores now. <laughs> Just an entire row of Spirit Halloween. So what I what what I'm really looking forward to right now. I mean, obviously we're looking forward to the movie, but these wings. Let's just let's just sit here and appreciate these wings. So we're staring at these things. They are beautiful. You can see that they're nice and wet, and they look as though they were crisp beforehand. And well, I'll let you get a word in before I go ahead and go on my tangent about my wing aficionado ness. Well, the the thing that I noticed about these wings is they're not little cheap scrawny wings. They've got a good amount of meat on them, and you know I I think I picked up thirty of them, so we've got plenty of wings for the two of us to chow down on tonight. What I really like just looking at them, like you said, they're not small. Um, I've been to some places where they give you wings, and it's, I mean, they're really tiny. They look like wings for ants, but these are really hefty looking, but. One thing that has always bothered me is that some places will go ahead and basically serve glorified chicken tenders where they actually bread and fry the chicken bone in and then they just like kind of lightly coat it in the sauce or else they'll like dust it with a powder and call it buffalo wings. And I can go on for probably about six hours. And I don't think we have the airtime about the amount of terrible wings that I've experienced in my lifetime. And these look as though I'm going to have a really good time with my life. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I'm not a fan of the breaded wings. You know, for me, I like them crispy. I like a good amount of sauce. I want that sauce to have some kick. And I, with, with these, it's almost, I, I don't want to get into their recipe too much, but it's almost, to me, tastes like a, a vinegar base. Well, what I like about Duffy's wings is it's a complementary balance of you have the sweet, salty, and savory going mm -hmm. on. You have a little bit of heat with the buffalo, but it's not, you know, you're not wondering how the rest of your night is going to go while you're eating them. Nope. Um, they're sweet a little bit. They've got a nice little bit of tang to them. And it almost, it almost takes me back to when I used to make buffalo sauce using Texas peat, which is a hot sauce that y'all don't have up here. And y'all really need to fix that. All right, under 11 minutes on the Texas Pete. I I lost on that. I knew it was going to come up, especially when I brought wings to the party, but I knew that Texas, that's all she talks about is work. I, and don't get me wrong, I like Texas Pete, but I am, I'm one of those that I love all hot sauces. All hot sauces are equal to me. Okay, let me rephrase that. Not all. Many hot sauces are equal to me. See, I used to have that mentality, and then I tried to do, are you familiar with hot ones where they sit down and they have different wings and they conduct an interview and each wing it's a spicier and spicier sauce until it eventually just becomes well torture for entertainment I guess one of my old roommates actually had their hottest hot sauce and I decided that you know I don't fear anything I'm gonna try this hot sauce Clint I didn't taste a single thing for five days and you know, that's probably the reason why I have acid reflux is because of stupid dares and challenges like that. Oh, it wasn't a dare and a challenge. It was, ooh, it's a new hot sauce. Speaking of which, 
Mountain Dew is getting their own hot sauce. Yeah, I don't really want to think about that. Yeah, I, I'm I talked good about that. it. I talked about it on the air earlier this week, and now um, if it ends up tasting like soda, I can guarantee that I will not be having a Baja Blast while eating it. Well, that is going to be a great segue into our first break is we're going to thank our wonderful sponsors for making this podcast happening. You are listening to KDMA's Real Date Night podcast. If you're looking for great food and good people, look no further than Duffy's Good Time Saloon on Highway 212 in Montevideo. They're serving up great daily specials Sunday through Thursday from 11 a.m. until 10 p.m. and on Friday and Saturday from 11 a.m. until 11 p.m. You can place a pickup order by calling 320-269-9055 or just stop in and grab a drink and tell them that Clinton Josie sent you. That's Duffy's Good Time Saloon in Montevideo. Farm safety is not just for farmers. We should all take extreme precautions on the roadways during this upcoming harvest season. It takes only seconds for a car to reach a tractor on the highway. Once you notice a farm vehicle, slow down immediately. Only pass in the designated passing zone. Watch for entrances on the left side of the road as an operator may turn unexpectedly. Leanthrop Farmers Mutual reminds you that the patience is a trait that allows everyone to go home at the end of the day. Play it safe and slow down. This message has been brought to you by Leanthrop Farmers Mutual your local Grinnell Mutual member insurance company serving western and southwestern Minnesota since 1886. Grain bins, wagons, and trucks are involved in several grain suffocations or grain drownings each year. Grain flowing from the bottom through an unloading auger or by gravity acts much like quicksand. Keep children out of bins, wagons, and trucks. If you must enter a bin to check storage conditions, shut off and lock out all unloading equipment. Treat the bin as a potentially dangerous confined space. This farm safety message has been brought to you by Edward D. Jones, Harlan Gregor's financial advisor, located at 1315 Grove Avenue in Montevideo. Back here on Katie Mae's Real Date Night, I'm Clint. I'm Josie. And we are eating Duffy's Wings. Duffy, uh want to thank them for this delicious cornucopia of wings. It's quite an impressive spread of wings. Um, if you order 30 of their wings, you don't have one takeout container. No, you get two full containers. You get two full containers that weigh about the same as either a newborn baby or a large house cat, depending on what your scale of reference is. Yes. <laughs> So we're sitting here and we're about to go ahead and pop in saw. You you could say that we're about to seesaw. Yeah, I seesaw with Moe's all the time. <laughs> I had to throw that one out there. <clears throat> but no, all right. So yeah, we're getting ready to start the movie. And throughout the course, we're going to you know basically have it on in the background. It'll be muted because it's not exactly family friendly. But we're going to talk about the artistic appreciation and value of this film. It's not exactly the movie that you're going to sit down with your grandma, unless your grandma's, you know, really into some gory torture movies. And in that case, go grandma. I would, um, my grandma would have watched it. What I love about Saw is when you were doing your 31 days of Halloween, I helped you find a spreadsheet um, to be able to track down different movies to kind of expand your horizons this month. And they had all kinds of different subcategories within horror. It wasn't just horror. No, there were nature themed where you had like Jaws and Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds. You had a whole section of lycanthropy. And then there was the torture section, which is where Saw came in. And that section really wasn't that large. Um, 
probably for a lot of reasons. But on that list was Funny People, which came out in, I believe, 1997. It was originally done overseas. I think it was in Amsterdam, if I remember correctly, or Sweden. It was in, it was in, it was in Europe. Yeah, it was in Europe. Um, so that was on there. And another thing that was on there was the movie Cube. And I think I am one of the few people in the world who not only has seen Cube, but also likes Cube. You carry a torch for that film. Let's be honest. Well, I thought it was such an interesting concept of there being, they're inside of a puzzle box. And if you, if you think about it, the remake of 13 Ghosts where they're inside of the house and it's the giant moving cube and everything you can kind of draw similarities between the two of them. And I feel like Cube, you know, whether you think it was great or whether you think it was terrible, I think it kind of, you know, opened up a whole new box as far as the idea of being trapped inside of a room. You're with people. You have no idea who who they are, how you got there. And that's one of the main premises of Saw is that these people are brought into different rooms throughout the entire franchise or locked in houses or what have you? And there was strangers, and they have no idea why they got there. They know no idea how. They have no idea who each other are. And part of the puzzle is figuring out how they're all connected. And you know, it's funny because when you'd first said, "Hey, funny people's on the horror section," I, I thought you meant the movie with Adam Sandler. No, no, that's not a horror movie. That's a horrible movie. Oh, sorry. Funny games. Funny games. Yes, you're right. Funny people was. I mean, let's be honest. That that movie was kind of a horror movie because you went into it thinking it was Adam Sandler comedy, and the next thing you know, you're in the middle of a field strip that you did not sign the permission slip for. But no, I'm sorry, Funny Games. Yes, Funny Games. No, and you're right. I mean, that movie, it started off great. You know, you've got Jonah Hill, you've got Seth Rogen, you've got Adam Sandler, you've got Aziz Ansari. I'm like, all right, it's a Judd Apatow movie. You've got that lineup. Sweet. For 30 minutes, you're laughing, and then, yeah, it... It turns all all emotional. It's like, okay, no, that's hashtag not my Adam Sandler. See, I feel like Adam Sandler, there's only really been one movie like of his that's a big feels trip that I've really absolutely loved, and that's Rain Over Me. But he was still funny in that. He he had his he had his moments in that where you didn't you didn't feel as though you were being judged by yourself and by the higher powers for even laughing at certain moments and funny people, there were some jokes that were made and it was like, I feel like I'm not allowed to laugh right now. I I feel like, I feel like I will be, you know, judged by myself and my elders for, you know, even smiling. But let's not veer too off and turn this into an Adam Sandler podcast. Let's get back into saw as we're breaking this down. And I don't know about you, but I've been enjoying the wings the whole time. And these things are just fantastic. Yes, I took advantage of the commercial break really thoroughly, and we're, we're learning a lot about each other right now. So I personally, there are two types of people in this world when it comes to wings. There are the people, well, three people. There are the people that enjoy the flats, people who enjoy the drumsticks, and the people who are just there for chicken wings. And I'm there for chicken wings. I am a flats person through and through. I feel like you get the most amount of meat, and if you know how to eat them correctly, it's really not hard. Yeah, but I, I watched you basically dissect your chicken wings where you broke them apart and yeah you got all the meat off but that is a lot of work what you did no not really you just slide your thumb in and you just dislodge a couple of the bones and you just you know slowly work on basically dismembering the wing and you end up with one bone covered in meat versus 
one large bone with meat kind of wrapping around. A lot of it's on the cartilage and on the ends. And, you know, I teach their own, but at least, at least neither of us are the people that will sit there and nibble on it and you look like a squirrel, like chewing on a corn of cob. <laughs> no, um, but no, these wings are absolutely fantastic. And so we're, you know, a little bit into the movie now. And you mentioned the set. First of all, it's a very low lighted movie and that's by design. Yes. So one thing that really stands out with me inside of the opening room, um, well, you can't see because this is a podcast, but they are inside of a room where it almost looks like a really, really, really nasty bathroom, like the worst bathroom that you could ever want to go into. Like you really have to use the bathroom. You stop at a rest stop, you walk in and you go, never mind, I'll hold it for another 50 miles kind of bathroom. And that is the last time I ever go through Michigan. Oh, I thought that was, I thought that was... Ohio you're going to talk about anyway so it's very low light but what has always kind of piqued my curiosity is there are bits of puzzles I'm not going to give too much away in here but there's bits of puzzles inside of the room how did they get the puzzle set up yet still have the same amount of disgusting dirt is there like an anti-cleaning service like you you can hire a cleaning lady but is there like a an anti-cleaning person that you can hire? Like, yeah, yeah, this house is really clean. Can you come in and just destroy it? Or did they just let kids run in there? I think they just let kids run amok in there. It's, and I think it was related to some of them. <laughs> it's just, it's so gross. Ah, there's... Just, and what really, honestly, has always made me laugh is that Carrie Ill's character, the doctor, he is so calm. He wakes up, he's in a room that he doesn't even know where he is. He's with some guy... He's got his foot chained to a pipe and he's like, oh, yes, I'm in this room. Why are you upset over there talking to the other guy? Like, but who is that calm? You're right. And what it, first of all, what I love about Carrie Ellis is he tries so hard. He does. To hide his very prominent British accent. And he does a fantastic job. But every once in a while, certain things will slide through. There's three phases of Carrie L's. You have the calm Carrie L's that you see during the beginning of Saw. You have the comedy Carrie L's that you'll see, you know, bantering back and forth in The Princess Bride or... And Robin Hood. Yeah, Robin Hood. And then you have the jerk Carrie L's, like when he was on Stranger Things as the mayor. In Days of Thunder. Yes, and he's just this mean, angry, insolent human being that you just you don't want to hang out with. And I feel like he has three different phases in rotation. I feel like he was handed the set script for Saw, and he looks it over, and he's like, well, this isn't going to be a comedy, and well, I don't think I can be angry for the entire however many days that we're shooting this, so we're just going to save up everything until we get to be angry. <laughs> yeah, because when he finally lets that anger and that emotion come through in the movie... It, he really just lets it fly. I mean, it also, it has to do with somewhat with like his character. Um, I know that his wife mentioned, you know, she wanted him to have a reaction because at least then it would show that he was capable of being a reactionary person in a sense. So, you know, they basically give you that backstory of this is who his character is. He just, he's a walk through the roses kind of a guy he doesn't you know show any emotion he's just and you know i guess that that also you remember this is not a plot spoiler his character in the movie is he's got to give people bad news every day so at that point you almost become emotionally dead yourself 
Yeah. Um, you start experiencing this thing called burnout in the medical and adjacent professions where the work just starts taking a toll on you, and you can really see that. So what's interesting is in the first movie, this is the first time that two people were in a room together and both actively participating towards a common goal. In the past with Jigsaw, there had been a couple other times where there were two participants, but they had been actively heavily pinned up against each other very, very heavily, or one participant was unable to participate, if you will. And I kind of have to see this setup as having been something that Jigsaw really, really, really was working up towards for an extended period of time, because look at the amount of plotting and planning that had to go into this. I mean, with all of his with all of his bots, he had a lot of plotting, but with this one... I mean, what, what what was his lead time on this? Yeah, and you, you got to wonder, first of all, what I love about this entire franchise is nothing ever repeats itself. And I've watched all of these movies a few times, and what I love is that with each new one, I've decided when I go into it, this is it. I'm going to figure out what the twist is before it even happens. I'm going to I'm going to see it from a mile down the road because I'm going to be it was probably a cat inside of the neighbor's chimney that set off the wheels of motion that hired a monkey and just come up with the most offlandish things and no it was actually the dog. Well, example, I, you know what you're giving. Yeah, I get that and I'll tell you what for me going into the 8th one I'm like, all right, I don't know how they're going to do this last one. I don't know how they're going to pull this off. I think they're going to the well once too many times. They're never going to be able to get that same magic. And yet I found myself at the end of that movie standing and applauding because of how it's like, okay, you got me again. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things where it just surprises you every single time you, you sit there and you try to play detective. You don't even realize that you're doing it, but you're sitting there going, Oh, well, that person was kind of suspicious and, you know, ooh, well, maybe maybe it was them or maybe this person was involved or, oh, no, actually, they were being blackmailed as well. Oh, my gosh. And then the person, people behind it, it's always surprising. It is, it keeps you guessing all throughout the entire time. And the creativity, like, I, I'm not here to sit here and, you know, cape for you know, torturous aspects and whatnot, but you have to applaud the creativity of these puzzles, um, especially the ones where there actually was a designated solution to them and a potentially positive end game. Just the creativity behind them. Well, let's be honest. Escape rooms and the movie Escape Room pretty much don't exist without the Saw movies. Yeah, what was it? The third one where they had the five people inside of like a giant maze. Was it the third one or the fourth one? Uh, you asked me that too quickly. Because the second one is where they had... The house. The house. And I think it was the third one that was the maze. The third one was the maze. And there was one part in the third one. Um, I, don't, I don't really get grossed out in horror or squeamish very easily. But there was one part in the third one where they had to provide a sacrifice to be able to exit and it was designed that if five participants were there that everybody would be able to be perfectly fine and okay you know what part i'm talking yes. about yeah yeah just watching that i i wasn't having a good time with that moment like it, it, it 
I, I saw what, what they did there with, you know, having, having things with saws in the Saw movie, and I wish I didn't saw it. <laughs> and on that great use of the English language, we're going to take our second break. And when we come back, we are going to dive face first into these wings here once and for all. This is Katie May's Real Date Night Podcast. The Dryer Doctors in Montevideo offer a grain dryer preseason inspection on all farm fans and most GSI grain dryers. This 20-point inspection runs from June through September and is meant to ensure your dryer is ready before you need it. Come harvest, we run three fully stocked service vans seven days a week and are able to get you back up and running with minimal time lost. If you would like to get on our preseason list, please give us a call at 320-321-1600. Visit their website, dryerdoctors.com, and like them on Facebook, The Dryer Doctors. This is Kevin Tabeast of Anderson Tabeast Funeral Home. As licensed morticians, we have received the highest levels of training. We will do our part to protect the community, our staff, and the families we serve during this pandemic. Whether you wish to do advanced planning or have lost a loved one, we will be there to meet with you personally at any of our locations or we have the ability to make arrangements online or by telephone. While this is a difficult time for all of us, please be assured that at Anderson Tabeast Funeral Home, we will continue to offer unique and meaningful ways to celebrate the life of your loved one. The Montevideo Senex Travel Plaza, located at the junction of highways 212 and 59 in Montevideo, is open for your convenience seven days a week from 5.30 a.m. to 10 p.m. The Senex Travel Plaza features all of your gas, diesel, propane, and E85 needs for all of your favorite quick stop snacks and meals to go. Also, you'll find daily specials Monday through Friday, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. or until gone, plus famous caribou coffee, Hunt Brothers pizzas, and tasty hot chicken. Three locations just for you. The Travel Plaza and Senex Seastore in Montevideo. And the Granite Falls Seastore, Highway 23 and 212, all ready to serve you. If you're looking for great food and good people, look no further than Duffy's Good Time Saloon on Highway 212 in Montevideo. They're serving up great daily specials Sunday through Thursday from 11 a.m. until 10 p.m. and on Friday and Saturday from 11 a.m. until 11 p.m. You can place a pickup order by calling 320-269-9055 or just stop in and grab a drink and tell them that Clinton Josie sent you. That's Duffy's Good Time Saloon in Montevideo. And we're back here on Katie May's Real Date Night Podcast. I'm Clint. I'm Josie. And we are talking about the movie Saw, and we are finally ready to jump right into these wings, courtesy of Duffy's in Montevideo. And we've we've been talking about them all night. Now for the you know, yeah, admittedly we've snuck some in during the breaks, but now for the over, you know, analysis of these wings. And again, perfect combination of a good crispy wing with a right amount of sauce on it, where it's not just completely drenched in sauce, but it's not bare dry either, and you just gasping for sauce it's like the perfect amount of sauce they were tossed together just brilliantly and you dip it in that blue cheese and my word that's about as good now first of all they're amazing enough to eat on their own but that blue cheese is so good and it just complements it so well i i've gotta i've gotta be completely transparent and honest i've lived all over the united states i've had all kinds of just delicious food and if you had told me a year ago that I was going to be having the absolute best wings that I've ever had in my life in very, 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 very rural, small town, Minnesota, 
first off, I would have asked how I ended up in Minnesota because I had always been on the East Coast. But second off, I would have thought that you were lying. But these are these are amazing. And what I love is their pickup service. I've, I've ordered Duffy's a couple times through takeout um, with quarantine, COVID, things like that. I've been taking full advantage of just kind of picking up some food here and there. What I love is their pickup service. It's so quick. They are so accurate. Very. They have not messed up an order. And that... That shows me that they really genuinely care about the product that they're, you know. No, and they're, and they're very proud of their wings and their blue cheese. And they should be. If they aren't proud of them, no, you go go ahead. Go be proud of them. Be very proud of them. I give you permission to be proud of them. <laughs> and, you know, they're... The, the mask, they're, or the mask, the staff, they're all in masks. There are people that are having their dinner inside of Duffy's right now, and they're doing it safely, and... You know, and again, you can still pick up, take it to go with you. They've got a lot of different specials and whatnot, but these wings. These wings. It could almost be a heart song. These wings. <laughs> I, I was waiting for that. But uh, let's finish talking about Saw here is we're, you know, about a half an hour into the movie now. And... What I really like about this is, you know, at about this time, you can kind of start to figure out who the perpetrator is. And we're leaving it at that. We're not going to give any spoilers. But you can kind of start to figure out who the perpetrator is. However, you don't know the how or the why at this point. Well, what I like about this movie is I grew up watching the Scooby-Doo movies and Scooby-Doo shows and things. and Zoinks, they yo. They always had the red herring. And in the Saw movies, they took red herring to a very literal approach with the pig mask, with the red cape, Mm -hmm. as something that you think that it's person one. You are dead certain it's person one. You think that it's person one. You saw things going on. You saw person one engaging in a crime. Yeah, but then all of a sudden, the red herring comes along. And you have no idea if it actually is a real red herring or... Is it actually the, you know, true person behind everything? Like, who is the, who's the person behind the mask? And in all of the movies, the person behind the mask is usually a really big twist and surprise. There, I think the only reason that I started to pick up on anything in the first Saw movie was because I was familiar with a couple people's voices, a couple actors' voices that I was able to, hmm, I think I know what's going on here. But even still... Even still, um, everything that I thought was going on that was hanky, it still got me. What I think was so well done with this movie is when you have 700 plus horror movies in your collection, you'll notice that a lot of these movies kind of, they borrow from one another. Borrow, to put it nicely. borrow heavily or you can tell that there is a massive influence but me saying you know funny games and cube might have been potentially influences with saw that is a that is a stretch loose 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 it's a stretch i mean it is it is a workable theory but saw has a lot of originality going on well yeah and like okay let's go back to Let's start with 1960. 1960, you had the Alfred Hitchcock classic Psycho. And then 18 years later, John Carpenter releases Halloween. And not only does he borrow the 
the the slasher theme and kind of rework it a little bit, but he actually uses character names. I mean, there's a Sam Loomis in the movie Saw. There is the doctor's name, Saw, or in the movie Psycho. Thank you. Um, we've got Saw on the TV here, but you've got you know you've got Sam Loomis in the movie Psycho, and that's the doctor's name in Halloween. You've got Janet Lee in Psycho, and her daughter Jamie Lee Curtis in Halloween. And then years later, Scream would do the same thing. In fact, Scream used Billy Loomis and had that whole Loomis name. And the funny thing is, there's an exact time, 18 years from Psycho to Halloween and 18 years from Halloween into Scream. What I think is funny is um, the first time I watched Scream, I wasn't entirely sure if it was supposed to be horror or comedy. And then I watched Scary Movie and I was thinking, well, you know, these are really, really similar. And I thought it was actually really funny that Scream was supposed to be called Scary Movie. And it always made me wonder if Scream had actually called itself Scary Movie and had just delivered a couple of the lines differently, would Scary Movie have even happened? No, it would not have. And Scary Movie actually happened as a result of that because when Wes Craven was putting... Uh, scream together he first called it scary movie it was supposed to be just this you know thumbing and thumbing his nose at the slasher movie and it was supposed to be a spoof he didn't realize that it was going to become an instant classic with horror fans and so much so that the waynes brothers they're like well you know what he called his movie scary movie and then change it. Well, we're going to call it Scary Movie. And we're going to just go a shot-for-shot shot parody. But you're right. The apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. And that's by complete design. And we talked about, you know, how different horror movies, were, you know, kind of borrow from each other and things like that. And Saw really kind of stood on its own. But what I think is awesome is the amount of stuff that Saw has kind of led into you have um, Would You Rather. Would You Rather came out a few years ago, and it was a slightly different idea where the participants knew where they were and why they were there. Um, you have Hostel, which technically falls into the same type of category of gratuitous amounts of violence and gore and whatnot. But then did you ever see, I believe it was called Circle that was on Netflix? No. It was a movie where all these people woke up and they're inside of a room and they have to stand on these light dots and then there's like commands to do different things to different people. And if you don't do it, then bad things will happen. And it was kind of like a futuristic rendition of like a mixture between Saw and The Hunger Games. It was it was weird, but you could definitely tell that there were a lot of influences. But I think that Saw honestly is a very influential series because not only... Is it a long-standing series? But it's a long-standing series that, let's be honest, for every major horror franchise, whether you're talking about Friday the 13th, you're talking about, um, oh, I'm drawing a blank on my brain right now. Nightmare on Elm Street. Nightmare on Elm Street. Halloween. Hellraiser. Any of those, the howling. If you're talking about any type of horror franchise, there's usually a couple good gems, and then the rest of them are mediocre, or, you know, there's some really bad things. For every Howling 1, there's a Howling 4. Or Howling 3. Or Howling 3, yes, Howling 3, Night of the Marsupials. That one's, whew, 
That's what I meant. But with saw, there's not really a dud. There's not really a bad apple in that basket. No, that's a great point. And, you know, I am the biggest Friday the 13th franchise fan that there ever will be. And not the biggest, but top 10, maybe, probably. But, you know, with Friday the 13th, a lot of people like to go, well, Friday the 13th Part 5 was bad because Jason wasn't even the killer in it. And you know what? The movie's 35 years old. It's not a spoiler anymore. But for me, I thought that one was really well done. I think the the dud in the Friday the 13th series was the one that they should have gotten right. And that was Freddy versus Jason. Oh, are you about to? No, I'm not going to go on the whole tirade about how they should have never replaced Kane Hodder and it should have been Kane Hodder and Robert Englund. But the, the only reason I'm throwing sass is because I'm pretty sure that this point, his, his TED Talk has been brought into the studio every single day for oh, the past few weeks now that I've, been, that I've known you. Well, okay. Kane Hodder is one of the... Yeah, if there's a Mount Rushmore of horror, Kane Hodder's up there, and I will carry that torch. But Oh, he's such a sweet human being. He he's... is. He's awesome. But the reason I say that Freddy versus Jason was bad was because they had so many opportunities, so many chances to get that one right, and I feel like it failed. Well, you brought up you brought up a point of Kane Hodder. So Kane Hodder was one of a few Jasons. What I love about Saw, so yes, in you know, Hellraiser series, you you have, and a lot of horror series, you have recurring actors that stick with a decent bit of the movies. But it's very rare for somebody to stay all the way through an entire drive, especially at seven eight movies, without there being you know changes in the casting and whatnot the main central human being in the saw movie stays involved throughout the entire series he was never recast he was never replaced it was never you know oh well you know we'll just go ahead and switch things up and we'll write somebody off we'll make a change or whatever what i loved is that there was even though there was a change in directors and writers that they still kept a casting continuity in a sense well yeah, that's a very good point. And I mean, the people who weren't, you know, met with untimely ends and demises and whatnot, but the people who, the survivors became, became people that stayed on for a while. And the main antagonist, even, he was in... At least six of them. And I think he actually technically was part of all of them. Yeah, Tobin Bell, I, I think, was actually a part of all eight films. Uh, the one character that sticks out, though, is longevity like that. And yeah, they replaced him in the reboot, which most of us don't even acknowledge. But Robert Englund is Freddy Krueger. Yeah. He did eight movies as Freddy Krueger, and there have been nine total. Like I said, I love Jackie Earl Haley. I do. He was great as Kelly Leak in The Bad News Bears. He was great in the movie Lincoln. But... Maybe they gave him Lincoln because it's like, hey, we're sorry that we almost killed your career by having you take on the role of Freddy Krueger and giving you a just a bad script and just a overall bad time with it. Because you can't just say, all right, Robert, we're going to replace you. You've been carrying the torch for us for so long, but we're going to do a reboot and we're going to recast the role of Freddy Krueger and we're going to make it look like that we got the mask off of Wish. 
Yeah. And I mean, it even happens with a lot more recent horror movies. Um, I know that you are a massive fan of Terrifier. Great movie. Which Damien, the writer and director, when he first started on the conception of um, just kind of the character of Art the Clown, it started with All Hallows Eve and it was a different, it was a it was All Hallows Eve? It was actually, you know, that was the first feature, yes, but Terrifier was originally a short that came out in 2011. Still, um, this is a very recent horror franchise. Very, very, very recent. It's still, I would say it's still in its like early teens as far as like age goes. Um, not necessarily in years, but as far as like development, I feel like there is a lot to go off of, a lot to build upon. Um, and they had a different art, the clown, but then they. Like Gianelli, I believe. Yes, but they recast him in the first Terrifier movie as David Howard Thornton. And I've gotten to meet him. I know that you've gotten to interview him. And he is, honestly, he's one of the sweetest people in the entire world. He's absolutely terrifying inside of the movie. Terrifier, just like the name would apply. I don't like clowns. I don't do clowns. If I happened to encounter him while he was in costume, I would scream and cry like a little girl and run the other way. But out I would of ask costume, him to hold a scalpel to my throat. <laughs> out of costume, he is one of the sweetest, most genuine human beings. But honestly, I I know that Saw, the franchise, it's kind of found a way of trying to wrap itself up. But I'm curious if it's going to make the mistake that a lot of horror franchises do, where they keep opening up Pandora's box. I love Hellraiser. It's one of my favorite movies. I love Doug Bradley. I I, I love that movie. I just absolutely love it. Clive Barker, I know it's based off of a book, kind of loosely, The Hellbound Heart. And it, from the first movie onward, it kind of takes a long and bumpy road going in the opposite direction from his books. But Part two was great, though. Part two was great. So I love the Hellraiser movies. But there gets to be a point where I have to go, all right, they should have stopped. And the person who was in charge of saying stop did not do their job. And I'm hoping that the Saw franchise kind of learns from other franchises' mistakes and goes, you know what? We gave it a solid ending. We're done. Well, I like I mentioned, I thought that going into the eighth one, Jigsaw, I'm like, all right, this is, this is going to be bad. How are they going to do this? Well, the seventh movie was even titled The Final Chapter, so you thought that, you know, the book is closed, like, we're done here, like, everybody pack up your wagons. Yeah, but trust me, and I'm not giving anything away, trust me, that movie Jigsaw does not diminish the last one being called The Final Chapter. Oh, yeah, I've seen it, and there were so many different twists and surprises that, honestly, after seven movies before it you would think that they'd run out of ways of being creative you would have thought that they would have run out of ways to have plot twists you would have thought that they had written themselves into a corner and somehow they didn't which is just fantastic so what we're looking at right now inside the movie by the way um they are currently going into some of the backstory with other people uh that jigsaw has um, taken and kind of given, um, let's just call it a, a mortal reevaluation. It's a good way to put it. A reevaluation of your immortality. And I love these movies, but based off of my background, I do always have a little bit of problem with some of the special effects that are presented in here. But you know what? With that low of a budget, I'll forgive them. 
Well, I'm sure that James Wan will accept your apology or will send, you know, well, I However, can, I can give him I can give him a list of, you know, just gentle, constructive criticism and a few pointers. And if he needs creative direction on special effects things and that type of department, you know, I can always offer services. No, I, I think he's working on another Conjuring movie, actually. I, he actually is. And I am so excited about that. I know that you're not the biggest fan of the haunted house, spiritual possession type of movies, but those are my absolute favorite. Like, I know that you're a slasher, like somebody's following you, psycho killer, Kesquise type of person. I'm a, we have no idea what it is, but it's bad. And for some reason, our family is stupid and we're not going to leave this house. We're going to have custard's last stand here inside of this house. And yeah, I, I, I love it. And speaking of custard's last stand, We are going to take our last break, and when we come back, we are going to put the finishing touches on this very first podcast. This is Katie Mae's Real Date Night Podcast. So, you've got insurance protection for your home and auto, but sometimes... Oh, man! The unthinkable happens, and you can find yourself responsible for a bill that exceeds your policy's limits. Carrying a Grinnell Mutual personal umbrella policy provides additional protection that goes beyond what's covered in your home and auto policies. Contact Benson and Helgeson Insurance Agency in Montevideo, your Grinnell Mutual agents, at 320-269-5505 and inquire about a Grinnell Mutual personal umbrella policy today. If you're looking for great food and good people, look no further than Duffy's Good Time Saloon on Highway 212 in Montevideo. They're serving up great daily specials Sunday through Thursday from 11 a.m. until 10 p.m. and on Friday and Saturday from 11 a.m. until 11 p.m. You can place a pickup order by calling 320-269-9055 or just stop in and grab a drink and tell them that Clint and Josie sent you. That's Duffy's Good Time Saloon in Montevideo. Winter's chill is here again, but no matter what the season brings, you can be warm and comfortable with a high-efficiency Coleman furnace from Olson Plumbing and Heating in Montevideo. Known for rugged dependability and tremendous value, Coleman products stand the test of time. Plus, every Coleman unit is backed by an industry-leading warranty. Call Olson Plumbing and Heating, your local Coleman dealer at 320-269-7574. And take advantage of their 10-year parts and labor plan on Coleman Home Comfort Systems. Also reminding you to be safe during the busy farming season. It's back to school time, and that means it's back to being extra careful when you're driving. CCM Health of Montevideo reminds you that kids will be busy calling out to friends they haven't seen over the summer, and that means they might not be as cautious as they normally would be when crossing streets or getting on the school buses. Please slow down and help our kids get off to a great start this school year. Wishing all a happy and safe school year from everyone at CCM Health in Montevideo. And we're back here on Katie May's Real Date Night Podcast. I'm Clint. I'm Josie. And we are in the final stretch of this inaugural podcast, talking about the movie Saw, eating these amazing wings from Duffy's. And, you know, obviously we're going to continue watching the film after the podcast is done. But final analysis of this movie and of this franchise, uh, you know, I think we hammered in the previous segment a lot of the points of, the franchise, it has a lot of the same themes, but it doesn't really ever insist on itself. It doesn't really repeat the same exact plot. There are new twists in each film. and 
there's an overall recurring theme and there's an overall recurring directive, especially in this. The, it touches on the first one where you have uh, Danny Glover's character. He's hell-bent and determined to figure out who Jigsaw is. And then it gets picked up in the second movie. And I believe that character, uh, that police character, stays on the case for a while throughout the franchise. Played by Donnie Wahlberg from New Kids on the Block fame. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um so we talked a lot about what makes a good horror franchise. We talked a lot about makes what makes a Did bad... Did I say Danny Wahlberger? No, but you just did now. Well, he, he, you know what? He does have a restaurant called Wahlburgers with his brother, Mark. Marky Mark? That's right. So I think, I think what would be a good thing for us to do, especially since this is our very first episode of Katie May's Real Date Night, I think we should start setting some precedences of what, you know, our listeners can expect to hear going forward. And I think that... While we've given a good breakdown about the backstory of the franchise, about, you know, some of our little funny points, um, I'm still really, like, curious. I need to write somebody about those Pansonics and how Jigsaw managed to afford those $250 tape recorders multiple times when he didn't have that much money reportedly. And also, how did he get all of this real estate? I have a few questions. Anyways, I think that it would be a wise idea for us to create some kind of rating system within this podcast of the movies that we're watching um i think that you know a five-star system it's it's good but it also opens us up to sticking with four and five stars way too frequently so i would like to propose a seven-star system fair all right so for this first saw movie on the seven star system for originality, I'm going to give it a seven. For the word I'm looking for, realism, I'm probably going to give it maybe about a five. And it's not that there are a lot of real things that could not have happened, but as far as using the the Lost plot before Lost was a show of there's a lot of people that are in this big city are somehow linked together. I'm going to give that about a four out of the seven. Overall, for the film, I'm going to give it. I'm going to give it a five out of seven. Okay, five out of seven. Um, I think I'm going to side with you on originality. Originality. This was a movie that, like I said, I can make really long stretches because I have watched way too many horror movies and also have a very vivid imagination. I still think I would give it a seven star. As far as like you were talking about realism. I I want to I want to give it a 5, but I have to kind of give it a little bit more of a 6 because it does accurately portray what it's like to be a doctor and experiencing burnout and family matters and things like that. Fair. The biggest reason that I'm taking away a star is because there's absolutely nobody inside of America that I mean Jigsaw, we, we, we learn a lot about him throughout the years, but there's nobody that would have his medical conditions without health insurance and still be able to afford to do half of the things that he's doing. That's a good point. And so overall on the film? Overall on the film, I would have to say that I would give it... I want to give it a 6 out of 7 just because it pioneered the way, even though the first movie was not perfect... 
I unfortunately have to continue to look at the rest of the franchise as well. And this was the building block. This was the baseline where they had to get you into a character. They had to introduce you to a universe. They had to bring about a concept and they had to make it so it was captivating, which is hard to do in a two-hour window. And they did it. So I'm giving them a six out of seven stars. All right. So the overall rating then is 5.5 out of seven. And you average the two scores. So before we wrap up, we are letting you guys know that starting next week, you are going to help us pick the movies that we break down. We're going to give you some choices and you're going to vote on a social media and let us know which of those films. And that's not just for horror films, but you know we are doing the horror movies for October. But each month it will be a different theme. And... We're going to let you decide what films we are going to break down. And on a couple of them, I think this is kind of cool. We'll, we'll be able to look at them from alternative points of view. Yes, that's that's something that I'm really looking forward to. Um, well, you know what? Let's go ahead and let's give it a stab on this one. So in the Saw movie, you could look at it from the viewpoint of the police. They're chasing down somebody who is inflicting harm on others and things like that. And with Saw, it's really easy to see from the main antagonist viewpoint where he was a man who experienced all kinds of loss. He felt ignored and like he was drowning inside of a system that was set up against him from the very beginning. He lost everyone that was important to him. He lost his life, lost meaning. And he also almost lost his own life. And through all of these things, he gained this massive appreciation for what little he did have. So in a sense, he's kind of trying to implore people who, you know, may be wasting their life away to kind of really look at things and go, you know what, maybe this isn't the best course of life for me. You know, maybe I should change some things and like I said, this isn't really a big stretch. This is kind of the ongoing plot of the Saw movies. But, you know, aside from, you know, if he wasn't murdering people, he doesn't actually. Okay, no, there are a couple moments where he does technically, in all technicality sense, directly result in the loss of life. But one of the things that I kind of, I I, I don't want to sound like I am glorifying what he's doing or, you know, standing for it. But no, this is entertainment. Yeah. Um, I, I, what makes him really compelling is that unlike, you know, slashers where they're definitely going out there, their knives are blazing and stuff. He finds ways of making other people choose whether or not they want to live. And I think that his, his power of compulsion is honestly what makes it really interesting. Well, on that note, we are going to wrap up for tonight. So, Again, thank you for tuning in and be on the lookout next week for you get to choose which movie we are going to break down. For Josie, I'm Clint, and thank you for tuning in to KDMA's Real Date Night Podcast.